Our second scripture reading this morning comes from a book that we don't visit too often in worship, the book of Proverbs. Hearing these verses at the beginning of the ninth chapter of Proverbs. Friends, let us continue listening now for a word from God. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Wisdom has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, Godspeed. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that through the work of your Spirit, you might gather us this day around the table of your word, the feast of your grace. Indeed, O God, we pray that through the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight, what we say and do might be glorifying to you, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a confession to begin. One of the reasons we don't visit Proverbs too often, at least in this sanctuary, is because one of the preachers has long felt un- or at least under-equipped to preach Proverbs. I don't know quite why I've always been a little intimidated by this book, this book that for so many here has probably been a source of great wisdom and faith for much of your own lives and your own journey. It could be because wisdom itself feels somewhat cheap these days, these days when it seems like anyone with a smartphone can become the wisest person that they have ever met posting their thoughts and their bits of truth wherever they like. It could also be because every time I open the book of Proverbs, like some other books in Scripture, I am met by all of these metaphors and symbols that I struggle to really get my arms around. I read things like we have read in our passage this morning of seven pillars and mixed wine and wisdom being a person, a concept personified. And I think to myself, these are probably issues better left to the experts, to those with PhDs, folks like Sam Adams, who is a professor of Old Testament and will be the preacher next week at Annie's ordination. But as I shared with the children in that brief time together, it was actually the metaphor in this proverb itself that drew me in this time. The more I sat with these verses, the more that they worked on me. 
The more they built a house in my own heart, the more they set a table and prepared a meal and invited me to come and sit and dine and discover something profound, something true about God. As I think back on it, I think that perhaps the groundwork for this invitation and this particular proverb for me may have been laid this past February at the Leadership Development Conference. It's a two-day gathering of Presbyterians from throughout southeast Georgia. It happens every February. We come together at Epworth-by-the-Sea, and we are led by other pastors, but also scholars and theologians and professors who come and teach and preach and worship with us. The keynoter this past February was a woman named Dr. Christine Yoder, an incredible person, an incredible scholar. She's a professor of Old Testament at my alma mater, Columbia Theological Seminary. She has this depth of knowledge about all the Old Testament, but particularly wisdom literature, literature, which is what Proverbs is considered to be. She is a person, too, who has this incredible gift of prayer. Students in seminary who had taken her classes before and weren't even enrolled in her classes in other semesters would show up at the beginning of class just to hear her pray. She had this way of evoking the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in her prayers, unlike any person I have ever met. She talked in February about Proverbs. That was the topic of her keynote. And she told us about how Proverbs is, in essence, a collection of sayings written long ago, traditionally attributed, of course, to Solomon, but in all likelihood written by a collection of people over time. It is this collection of sayings that was meant to pass the wisdom of the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, from one generation to the next. And the driving question that drove the creation of each individual proverb was the driving question of the ancient people of that time. The question she spoke to us about, the question that drove them was this. The ancient world would ask themselves over and over, what is good for the human in life? Every day in all they did, in the shape of their worship, in the shape of their living, the question that drove them was, what is good for the human in life? And Proverbs seeks to provide an answer to that question. And so she told us how you can think really of each proverb as being actually two things within one. Each proverb seeks to offer to its audience both a worldview and a way of being. Each proverb is a concise statement of an apparent truth that is based on human experience, but also meant to be a guide, a help for future living. I had that in my mind as I sat this past week with this passage from the ninth chapter of Proverbs. And I wonder to myself if we today were to heed Lady Wisdom's invitation that is laid out in these verses to come and sit and dine at her table. 
What is it that she is teaching us about the God in which we have our being? What is the worldview, in other words, that she is inviting us into? And then what is the way of being to which we are called that she is calling us? What is the worldview in this proverb and what is the way of being to which we are being called? I often like to ask rhetorical questions and then not answer them for you. Today I'm going to try and answer that question. I think the way of being, we must first visit what is the way, let me back up, the worldview that she is offering to us is this, that God is abundant, that the God we meet and worship in this place is a God of abundance. We find that in the imagery that we find in these verses, a grand venue being built, seven pillars. We find it in the menu that she is serving, in the meat We have the luxury of going to Winn-Dixie or to Harris Teeter and just grabbing things off the shelf. Meat in the ancient world is a luxury. That is an incredible meal to serve. We find it in the wine that is being served. There is a lesson in these verses to teach us that the God we meet in this place, just as the God that the ancient people met in their lives, is a God of abundance. But what comes next is almost more important, I think, the way to which we are being called. And the way to which we are being called is to realize that God's abundance is one that we cannot and should not experience alone. Did you capture how exactly she goes about inviting people to this feast? Lady Wisdom sends out her servants into the city to invite everyone to come to this meal. She climbs to the highest point in her city and she cries out for all to hear, come and eat at my table. There's this incredible sense of the breadth of God's abundance. That it is not just meant for one individual, but rather for all. It is meant for me, and it is meant for you. As I thought about that imagery, I thought back to an experience I had in 2012. It's an experience I've shared about from time to time, both in this worship as well as in smaller gatherings in our life together. I had an opportunity in 2012 to travel with a group of about 28 people throughout the Middle East. For three weeks, we went to Jordan and Israel and Egypt and Greece. We visited some of the most amazing places you can visit on this earth. But the thing I often tell people about that experience is that it is not the places I remember most about that trip. Rather, it was the meals of that trip. Not just the menu that was being served, but the people and the experience of sitting at table each and every night with this group of people that was incredibly diverse. Every night we would come together and often around one table we would sit, 28 of us, 
And looking around that table, you saw faces that were young and old. You saw faces that were black and white. You saw faces and people who were Christian and Jewish. You saw Methodists and Presbyterians and Southern Baptists and everything in between. And the conversations we shared each night of that trip were, in my mind, sacred. Those meals were almost sacramental in nature. They were these moments where you experienced the sheer abundance of God's creation, of God's grace, of God's love. We would sit around that table and we would disagree about so much. We were each at that table from such diverse backgrounds and places, and yet it was in the conversations and the relationships that were forged in those meals that I, and I think others at that table, discovered life. Every time I think back on that experience, on that trip, I think of the meals more than I think of the places. I think of the faces and the relationships that filled me with life. And I wonder if maybe that's why I felt so drawn to this proverb. Because I think it teaches us something about what the Bible wants us to know about life. Namely, that life and eternal life, it's not just about what is to come. It's not just about what lies on the other side of the grave. Eternal life, the life God desires for us, is also life today. The wisdom of this passage is that it invites us to experience not just hope for the future, but also joy for the present by living each day in the manner that God has created and called us to live, as people who are in relationship with one another, people who seek out and sit down, both with those who are like us, but also, and perhaps most importantly, with those who are very different, people who worship and sing and dine, People who savor time together. At the end of our Sunday school class, in between worship services today, I told them that sometimes if you come to the late service, you get a different sermon than if you came to the early service. And this is the part where the sermon goes differently, because we watched a video as part of our Sunday school today that's called Godspeed. It was referred to me by someone in our church, and we've watched it a handful of other times. But it's this incredible documentary, a short one, but a documentary about the life of an American pastor who graduates seminary, and he moves to Scotland. And he goes to Scotland and serves in this tiny little parish. And the whole video is about how this pastor discovered God's speed in that experience. That it was in this tiny, out-of-the-way corner of the world where he couldn't do his job by just sitting in an office, where he had to go out into the streets and into the homes of those in this community that he discovered God's speed, which is a very slow speed. 
he had to slow down in this place. He had to spend time with the people in his parish and in his community. He had to go slow enough to actually learn people's names and to learn people's stories. And he said in that experience that he found he couldn't just show up at someone's door and throw the good news of Jesus Christ in their face and expect it to stick. Instead, he had to slow down first and just listen. Listen to their stories. Listen to who they were and are. And in that time, eventually, see God's grace at work. They reflected in that piece about how, you know, Jesus moved pretty slow. Jesus could really only move as fast as his feet could take him. And we live in this world that goes so fast. And the invitation was one to slow down. And maybe a good way to start, they said, was by walking. But in this proverb, I wonder if perhaps God's speed is also the speed that is found around a table. In a moment where we sit together, where we learn each other's names, where we listen to each other's stories. Maybe this proverb is a lesson in what 21st century discipleship is supposed to be, which is relational. That maybe we need to slow down, to sit at table with one another, to realize that disciples of Jesus Christ must be people who are willing to spend time listening Spend time eating, spend time sharing the joy and whimsy, but also the heartache of life together. To spend time loving one another, despite our diversity, despite our differences. I think there's a good deal of wisdom in that. And I think there's a good deal of Jesus in that too. Because Jesus is the one who seeks out all people. Jesus is the one who sets a table and invites all to come and eat. Jesus is the one who desires relationship with us. Jesus is the one who is best described with a single word, which is abundance, overflowing abundance. Think of the wedding at Cana. Think of the feeding of the 5,000. Think of the sacrifice on the cross. What love abundant it must be to love and forgive an entire world. Jesus is the one who promises us life eternal, but also life now. Thinking back on it, I think that that might have been the home that this proverb began to build in my heart this week. And I pray this day that maybe, in small ways and big, that might be a home that is built in your heart as well. That you too may know a God who has and even now sets a table that has room for us all, even for you and even for me. That together we may heed the invitation of that wise woman in our passage today, to come, to eat, to drink, to leave our simple ways, 
and to discover that in doing so, we will live. Friends, may that life be yours, this day and always. Amen.